Okay, we're going to return to a theme that we were with before Christmas, which is the theme of spiritual gifts. Uh, we've had a bit of a break over Christmas, but we're going to return to look at uh, chapter 14, that's where we got to, and we're going to talk about the practice of spiritual gifts. We're going to look at the practicalities, and if you look at 1 Corinthians 14, you'll see that it splits quite neatly into two parts. The first part, verses 1 to 24, are the bits where Paul explains why he needs to bring some order to their use of spiritual gifts, if you like. Paul deals with the theory of the practice of spiritual gifts. In the second part, verses 26 to 40, Paul gives them practical details for that ordering, which is what he's explained the need for in the first half of the passage, so the practice. And so today I want to focus on the first part, the theory, which means that you're going to have to do a bit of thinking uh, and a bit of, you know, mind work here, because there's a bit of thinking to do. So you up for thinking today? Um, and then over the next couple of weeks after that, after this, not next week because we're doing the baptism, but the following couple of weeks, we're going to do the practice and we're going to have some fun, okay, with spiritual gifts. But today it's the theory, and whenever you lay, uh, whenever you do the theory, you lay good foundations for what you're going to do. So that's what we want to do today. We want to lay some good foundations. Okay, so I'm going to just pray and ask God to help us to understand what he wants us to understand today. So Lord Jesus, we are just so privileged to be in this church today and experience your presence, to know your touch, to know your love, to celebrate what you've done for us, Lord. We are overwhelmed by your goodness, your mercy. Lord, we thank you that you're always for us and that you love us. And Lord, we just pray that as we talk about this really important subject today, you'd help us to understand what we need to understand. I pray, Lord, that you'd break strongholds in our thinking today. I pray you'd open the scriptures to us and give us freshness as we look at this subject. In Jesus' name, amen. To understand the first part of this chapter, you need to understand what kind of church existed at Corinth. Now, there is a lot of historical information about this church, but we also need to use a little bit of imagination. So forgive me, but I'm going to use a little bit of imagination as well as quite a few facts. I'm not going to tell you which is which. All right, so I want to give you the, the complete picture. I want you to get the feeling of what it would like to be at Corinth's church, because it was a church like no other church that I've ever been in anyway. No church that I've ever been in. For a start, it was full of new Christians, absolutely full of new Christians. There were probably hundreds of new Christians that have come into that church. And these new Christians had the kind of backgrounds that would make your hair stand on end. I mean, I'm not kidding. Many of them have been involved in pagan rituals, the occult, witchcraft, idol worship, you name it, whatever kind of perversion that was out there, they were involved in. There were certainly former prostitutes. That area was very well known for it. Just down the road from where the church met, there was a temple where there were at least a thousand prostitutes working there uh, in the temple. And there were people from all other kinds of sexual persuasions and perversions Okay, this is Corinth, this is what it was like, that kind of church had those sort of people. And some of those people would have been used to using mind-altering drugs. 
uh, the kind that blew your brains out because they would get into trances and uh, they would use these trances to have spiritual experiences and that was part of their religious experience. So you think drugs are a new invention? They've been around a long time. And even today in some places you will see that these sorts of drugs are being used for these purposes. So many cults would use those, and certainly in Corinth. And there were people of different cultures, different ages, and different stages. Some people there were undoubtedly rich and had influence, but some people were slaves. So it was a real mix-up, a real melting pot of all the peoples and cultures of that region. And it was a vibrant commercial city, Uh, It was a crossroads of trading routes in every direction. All across the world, they would pass through Corinth. I mean, it was a real inner city church. Okay, you get the picture, you get the flavour. And this church had come about through the hard work of one man over three years, planting it, and he worked part-time. That was the Apostle Paul. And he planted this church with the help of some local business people, Aquila and Priscilla, who many commentators actually think were the leaders of the church at this time. But despite all the challenges, and you can imagine there were some challenges, this church was vibrant. They were seeing amazing things. They were seeing miracles. Uh, Signs and wonders were almost commonplace. Paul says this was a church that lacked no spiritual gift. And God was definitely among them. But also, so was the influence of many of their past lives. And I think that those things, those influences, were probably at the root of the church's problems. But then with all those backgrounds, you'd expect some issues some opportunities, some challenges maybe in that context. So Paul is writing, and I want you to get that background so you understand why Paul is writing what he's writing. Because he's writing not only to bring some order, which is needed, but crucially to bring people to a place of repentance, to a place where they actually change their minds over some aspects of their past lives. It seems that they'd been in the church for a while, some of these people, but they hadn't had that experience of repentance and understood some of the deep changes that needed to take place in their lives. Because as we'll see, that many of their practices from their former lives were being carried over directly from paganism into the church. They just didn't know that they were wrong. They just kind of merged things together. And so Paul is writing... This letter, and especially this chapter uh, about spiritual gifts, to correct error and to keep the church from general weirdness, which I think is a good thing, isn't it? Paul doesn't want a spooky, weird church. He wants it to be clear, uh, as we'll see. So Paul goes on then to say uh, that the exercise of spiritual gifts needs to have Three purposes. I'm so glad the writers of the Bible were thoughtful enough to always do things in threes. Have you noticed that? 
Uh, I don't know how that happens, but it's definitely three. I've been over it several times. Possible fourth one could just slip in at the end, but not in the same category. So, and these are the three purposes. First of all, spiritual gifts are for the edification of others. Secondly, for the clarity of the hearers. Thirdly, uh, for understanding for the mind. Okay, and this is all from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 to 25, but I'm not going to read that to you. hope you can cope with that. I think you can read that yourself at home a bit later, and I want to encourage you to do that, because what I want to do is to try and pick out some of the key verses uh, to explain what I'm going to talk to you about today, not just from that chapter, but from the three chapters, 12 to 14. I'm going to merge it, mix it up a bit, so you can get the full flavour. So there's a competition to see who can pick up all the references I'm going to use today. All right, are you ready? Firstly then, the edification of others. Just look at this, these verses here. Edification of others, verses 2 and 3, it's going to come up on the screen for you. So Paul says, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speak to men for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. Now, you will know from reading this passage before and from the teaching series that we've been doing, that the Corinthians were obsessed with tongues. Have you picked that up? They're kind of obsessed over the gift of tongues. And I've never really understood why they got so hung up on it. But actually, I see now that it was a lot to do with their background. See, many had been a part of what were called the mystery cults. That's what they were called, the influences uh, that they were experiencing were from the mystery cults. And these uh, cults were so mysterious, in fact, that none of them, none of what they believed and very little of what they practiced was ever recorded. It was so mysterious. It was so weird that it was never actually written down. But there are pictures of different practices and all sorts of other historians have managed to piece together different things. But one thing we do know is that Essentially, these mystery cults were about hidden knowledge. Uh, it was about dark things that nobody quite understood. In fact, these things were things of the occult, which is actually the word hidden. That's what it means. Occult means hidden. So these cults were all about hidden knowledge and dark things. So speaking in tongues uttering strange, ecstatic things, or mysteries, as Paul calls them, they just simply adopted them. They just saw that as part of their own previous religious experience, and it was very attractive to them, because the less sense things made, the more spiritual, the better they were. Because, you see, for them, it was all about experience. It was all about experience. And so what some of these people would do was a kind of a perversion of the gift of tongues. They would work themselves up into trances using the gift of tongues, which is a bit bizarre. They would use those gifts, working themselves up almost hypnotically and then speak out random words or revelations that they felt that God had given to them. And this was very prevalent, and it's one of the reasons why uh, we think that Paul wrote 
chapter 12, verse 3, where he says that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. Because these random kind of revelations were coming out without any sense of accountability or thought for what they were actually saying. And they were just being taken as, well, that's from God. Because these ecstatic religious spiritual experiences have brought this, obviously, out of heaven. There's just no thinking about the situation. And I wonder what the modern equivalent is for us. I've been thinking about it. I wonder if it's music. It can be music. I wonder if it's worship. It can be worship that we kind of lose ourselves in a right way, in worship of God, but we can lose ourselves in a wrong way and give ourselves in to the emotions and the experience of it and just be carried along with the worship. I mean, how many of us, if we were honest, are completely dependent on 40 minutes of worship, otherwise I can't experience God? It's a New Frontiers church thing, isn't it? We've got to have 40 minutes of worship because otherwise God doesn't come to church, you know? I'm being flippant. But you know, some people, they cannot experience God without these other aids, these other helps. And something that I find interesting is when we just stand in the presence of God and God just comes and nobody does anything, he just comes. He does. But you see, for these people, it was the experience that mattered the most. It was the feelings that they got. These were spiritual things. These were, to them, the kind of outworkings of what they felt the Holy Spirit had come to do. But Paul says, no, you're being led astray by your ignorance and pagan ways. So he says in chapter 12, you're being led astray by your own past. And you see, there's nothing wrong with experiences. Okay, let me just get that on the record. There's nothing wrong with experiences. God is there to be touched. God is there to be experienced. But if it's only experiences that you want it can lead you into trouble, potentially even into deception. Okay, so what we can see then is that the Corinthians were a very mystical group of people. Mystical people like mysteries. They like the mysterious, the uncertainty. And so Paul uses their own language to point this out when he says that speaking in tongues is indeed speaking mysteries. This was like a little key word for them. Mysteries. Yeah, they got that. So it's really wonderful that he didn't just blast them and say, you're all wrong. He says, no, you are speaking mysteries. That's right. But that's speaking to God. That's speaking to God. That's to help you to speak to God. And it's a wonderful thing. And so speaking in mysteries is not... Uh, is no reason for not speaking in tongues. Okay, Paul says that already. He does it himself. He says, I do it more than all of you. He says, speaking in tongues is a wonderful thing. He says, I want everybody to have this gift because you get this direct connection with God through the Holy Spirit. It's the most wonderful gift. But he points out that speaking in tongues when there are other people about in public doesn't make any sense to them. 
So if I just stand here and speak to you in tongues right now, you won't understand unless I speak a language that one of you knows, you won't understand what I'm going to say. So how can you say, I agree with you, amen? But because I speak in English, you can shout out at any time and say, yeah, Rob, I agree, amen, praise God. You can give thanks to God, can't you? Because you understand. If I say a truth, you can say, yes, thank you, God, for that. You have saved me. You have cleaned up my life. You can say, Amen. Paul says, if, if you're just speaking in tongues, how is anybody going to be able to do those things? And, and when visitors come into the church, he says, they might be nothing to do with the church. They're going to think, perhaps, especially with all this ranting and this trancing that you're doing, they're going to think that you're out of your minds. What good is that going to be? How is that going to help people come to know Christ? They just think you're another religious cult doing weird stuff that we see in the temple all the time. So Paul says prophecy is a much better public gift because it strengthens, encourages, and comforts people. It's a much better gift. People can understand it, they can agree with it, they can receive from it, they can be helped by it in public. And if we are motivated and following the way of love, which is what Paul says that we've got to be in in 14.1 and chapter 13, the whole of chapter 13, that's what we're going to want to do, isn't it? If we're going to want to speak in a language that strengthens, encourages and comforts people, we, we are going to be motivated to do those things because of our love for one another. You know, I want to see you encouraged. I want to see you built up. I, want, I'd lo- I love it when people say, oh, I was so encouraged by the message this morning. I was so encouraged when I came to church and I was greeted in the way I come. That's what we want because we love one another. It'd be awful if you were going home and saying, what a depressing service. I didn't get anything out of it. That would grieve me. Please speak to me afterwards if that's your experience. So Paul says prophecy is better because it does all those things, and so are tongues if they're interpreted. Tongues are great, but only when they're interpreted. This is good because people are edified because they can agree or not with what you're praying and give thanks with you. Verse 16. So that's the first thing. Edification is the first purpose of uh, spiritual gifts, and edification is essentially about serving other people with your gifts. That's what edification is, serving other people with your gifts, uh, looking to excel in gifts that build people up. So be careful of mumbo-jumbo, weird, unaccountable things. See, God is found in the light, not in the dark, not in the dark and hidden things. God is in the light. So the second purpose that Paul wants us to have in the use of spiritual gifts, is clarity for the hearers. Clarity for the hearers. So Paul uses a couple of illustrations, which I'm going to use and then modernize as well. So he says, imagine I come amongst you one day, and he says, uh, I come into your worship and I start playing an instrument. Or, Or maybe I play a whole series of instruments, and then I start to lead your worship, but I have no particular tune or rhythm, but I just make this awful row. You know, like the cymbals and gongs of your pagan days, he said in 1 Corinthians 13. Imagine that's how I came to you. Or, suppose I came into your office, or the place that you work, your school, or whatever it is, I had a set of keys so that I could set off the fire alarm. 
I came in one day, I set off the fire alarm, and just as you get up, because there's always that uncertain moment, is this a practice? Do we need to do anything? Is this being tested? So anyway, just as you get up out of your seat, walk to the door, I turn it off. You go back, you sit down, you think, oh, well, it was just something, you know, fault. And then just as you sit down and sit, I turn it on again, and it's going off again. And then I do that several times. How confused would you be? How uncertain would you become? Verse 9, so it is with you. Unless you speak in intelligible words with your tongue, how will anybody know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Intelligible words. But you see, this was nothing like their background. Nothing like their background. So witchcraft, for example, is nothing to do with love. It's all about controlling people with fear and intimidation. The occult is nothing to do with everyone knowing the same thing, everybody knowing and having knowledge and understanding. It's about special knowledge. See, knowledge is power. And for these people, it was all about some greater experience or knowledge of spiritual things that's greater than others. And not telling anybody. I, I'm not going to tell you how I discovered that. I've discovered if I lay hands on the sick, they get healed, but I'm not going to tell you how I do it. It's secret. You're not in the know. You're not special enough. That was their attitude. You see, the occult has got nothing to do with being open. It's dark. And behind their attitude was this sense of people being in awe of me of thinking that I'm somebody special. A few years ago, in our church, we had a male witch visit us. And do you know why he visited? I find this hilarious. He wanted to know the secret of getting more power. You see, he worked out, somehow he'd recognized that the church had something of the power, something of power that he didn't have. He didn't, he hadn't experienced, and he recognized that the church, uh, he said, he, sorry, he said that he, he'd come amongst the church, and he tried to cast spells on people, and they'd bounce back. So he says, I recognize that you've got something that I haven't got. And so he came thinking there was some kind of secret initiation, or hidden thing that he could come into, so he could get this power. So when the pastor corrected him and said, there's no such secret way, you've just got to come to Jesus and know him, he was convinced that he was just trying to block him. He was just trying to put him off. He was just saying, no, you're not in my club. I was really surprised. But that was the whole thing. That's what he'd been involved in. That's how he understood you get spiritual power and experience. You have to be initiated into it. And there were many people around in Paul's day who were like this. Peter encountered one of them, of course, famous story, when he was in Samaria. The man was called Simon. And he, ama- he was amazed at the power of the apostles, and he saw what they were doing, and he offered them money to be initiated into this source of power. 
Now, he wanted the kind of power, Simon, he wanted the kind of power where he could just lay hands on people like the apostles did and pass on to them the power that they had. I mean, can you imagine how much people would pay for that? If I could only get hold of that, I'll make an absolute fortune. I lay hands on people, they fall over, they do this, they get filled with the Spirit, they speak in tongues. I haven't got that power. And of course, many of us wouldn't even know that we had that kind of power. We wouldn't even recognize the power that we have as Christians. Many of us wouldn't. I mean, did you know that you have power? Did you know that when you rebuke the devil, he has to flee? And you think he's so powerful. Did you know that? Have you ever heard his footsteps as he runs? I have. Did you know that you can command healing in Jesus' name? That God can use you? Did you know? You can answer me if you want. Who knows that God has given them power and authority in Jesus' name? Amen. Oh, we need more Africans. <laughs> Did you know that there is a demonic campaign against you to stop you from finding out who you are and the power that you have? A little while ago, and I can't remember exactly when it was, but it was a while ago, I had a screw tape moment. Who's read Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis? You have to unwind your mind after you've read it. But basically, the whole premise of this book is that he imagines a senior devil training a junior devil how to tempt and bind Christians. So he gives him advice from all his years' experience. And I had a screw tape moment. I was praying one day, and I was just saying, Lord, you know, I, I just need more from you. I just don't feel like I've got what I need. I, I want to be able to, you know, serve you better, and I, I need more anointing from you. I need to step up and all sorts of things. When you lead a church, you feel that a lot, guys. You just feel like, I need more from God. It's hard. And then I just, it was like, and I don't know if this was actually, if this actually happened or whether it was in my imagination, but it was really real to me. I suddenly overheard a conversation that was going on, just like screw tape letters. And one was saying to the other, whatever you do, don't let him find out who he is. Don't let him. Whatever you do, don't let him find out about his anointing. It's trouble. And you know, when I found that out, I laughed. And I said, well, if that's what's going on, I'm taking it by faith. There's a campaign out to stop you from finding out who you are. So Paul says, because you see, there's no hidden ways in the kingdom. 
There's no secrets. There's no secret initiation. There's no limits other than our own willingness to step out in faith and ask God to use us. That's what the kingdom is about. It's a kingdom of light. So Paul says, what shall we say then, brothers? In verse 26, I'm slipping into the next bit of the chapter. Verse 26, what shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has. Everyone has. Everyone, level playing field. We could all have come up to that microphone this morning and prayed or brought a word of encouragement or given praise to God. Every one of us has something to give. See, the gift of the Holy Spirit to everybody means that God can and does use anybody. The gift to everybody means he uses anybody. Is there anybody here? Anybody? Anybody? (laughs) Oh, I'll get you. All there needs to be is an openness to the Spirit and courage. Who needs courage? We all need courage. But you know, I found that when you step out on water, you can walk in the Spirit. Take risks and God goes with you. Paul says, how would you have felt, in verse 6, if when I come to you, all my teaching and the conversations that I had with you All the demonstrations of power that I gave to you, all the healings that you saw, I didn't talk to you about them, I didn't explain them, other than in a foreign language. I kept it to myself. How would you have felt? I was in France this summer, and I speak a little bit of French. Apparently I sound like Inspector Clouseau, which is... You know, that's a compliment. He's one of my heroes. But I sound like Clouseau when I speak French, you know. Um, and uh, we made friends on the campsite with a group of French people. And it was great. I, I really enjoyed trying out my schoolboy French and seeing, seeing them look at me piteously, uh, but very generously. And, uh, we, but we made some friends. And one evening, they, uh, a group of the people that we'd been making friends with behind our caravan invited us to go and have a drink with them. So Alison and I went and sat with them and took our big glasses of wine. I mean, they do such big glasses in France. I don't know if you've noticed. And then they started talking to each other. And it was within moments I realized that we were completely shut out of the conversation. Not deliberately. It was just that we didn't, we couldn't keep up with the conversation. And so you started looking. So why is he smiling? Is he, is he smiling at me? Is he trying to, are they trying to bring me in? Do they want to know what I think now? Or why is he frowning? Or why is he going quiet? Why have they raised their voice? Are they arguing now? It's completely impossible to feel a part of what's going on there. And Paul says, how would you feel if I came to you like that? That's not what the church is meant to be. Everyone has. Everyone can. God uses us all plainly and openly. We just need to be a part of the body of Christ, which is what Paul talks about in chapter 12. So there's two things, and then clarity. So clarity, and then understanding for the mind, a further purpose 
of spiritual gifts. Understanding for the mind. Verse 14 and 15 says this. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? The Bible, you see, never advocates that when you come into a meeting, I just want to make this clear for anybody who needs to know this, that when you come into a meeting, the Bible never says you have to leave your brains outside the door. Never says that. And, you know, there's a dangerous kind of... Of course, if you don't have a brain in the first place, you can't leave it outside the door. No. You know, there's a dangerous kind of charismania, to quote Richard Thomas, um, going around at the moment, which says something like, uh, like this, that you have to leave your brains outside the door, but I think this is something of what Paul was dealing with here. Or you may have heard phrases like, God offends the mind to get to the heart. Anybody heard that? God offends the mind to get to our hearts. And, and so there's this kind of pressure not to think, not to evaluate, not to question, which is completely contrary to Scripture. See, Paul tells us to use our minds when we pray and when we sing and when we use spiritual gifts, as well as using our spirit, to do both. And the Apostle John tells us to test everything by Scripture, to discern, to understand. I mean, saying that, I do believe that God offends the mind to get to our hearts sometimes. This is actually a well-known, old-fashioned phrase that's been taken and used differently to have a different meaning. So there are many times in the Bible that this happens, that God offends the mind to get to the heart. So, for example, Paul on the Damascus Road, there's a good example. Or what about Jesus telling his disciples how much he must suffer and die? Peter rebukes him for it, and then Jesus rebukes Peter. (laughs) The mind has been offended, but it gets to the heart. And I've been offended by God sometimes. Isn't that incredibly arrogant of me? But I've been offended by God sometimes when I have seen evidences of his grace in people's lives. And I say, God, how could you forgive him? How could you love him or her? Sorry, I wasn't pointing at anybody there. (laughs) It was a... How could you forgive me? Sometimes we can be offended by God's grace. But I don't believe that God bypasses our minds as a matter of course. Actually, we're commanded to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. But what about if I've left my mind outside? How can I do that? How can I love God with my mind? Elsewhere we're told that we have the mind of Christ and that we are to renew our minds with truth. So we need to renew our minds, but we don't leave them outside. Paul often encourages us in the epistles to to think on these things. 
In one place he says, think on these things and the Lord will give you more understanding. He doesn't say, look, switch up your mind. I know what I'm talking about. Just take it from me. I'm the apostle. Paul isn't against us using the mind. He never tells us that our minds block the spirit or get in the way. We're never instructed in any part of the Bible, as far as I know, to turn off our minds and just receive. Never. In fact, it's dangerous. Verse 18, Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And as I was preparing this, I just felt that some of you mind people needed to hear this today. Some of you clever thinking people needed to know this. We need people like you who ask questions and search out what the Bible says. We need people who think to evaluate experience, test it by the word of God. If your heart is godly and it's right, it's not going to be a problem. I'm not saying, by the way, that we are necessarily going to understand everything that God does. I'm not saying that. I don't understand everything that God does. I don't know why he does certain things. Why does he come one day and the power of God is here and we're just lying on the floor or whatever and the next day it's kind of not? Or why does he heal some people not? There's so many things we don't know. I'm not saying we understand everything. But never to question? Never to question? Never to ask? Never to wrestle with something? I want to use a Pauline expression. God forbid. I think we have to do that. Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 14, to keep the church from error and general loopiness. You know, anyone that claims a superior knowledge or refuses any accountability is dangerously near falling into error if they haven't already. I've heard a number of charismatic leaders in the last few years talking about a higher knowledge or coming into a greater revelation. I've got to say that it makes me nervous or cautious at least. I just hope it's terminology and not a statement of what they genuinely believe. But Paul is very clear, we use our minds to ask questions and to think. Not to do this because we're so taken up with the experience, I think is at best lazy or naive, at worst dangerous. That's what I think. So three principles to govern the use of spiritual gifts, edification of others, clarity for the hearers, and understanding for the mind. This will give us a strong foundation for the practice of spiritual gifts. Paul needed to bring the Corinthians to a place of repentance, to change their minds of some of the things from their past lives, some of their wrong thinking that had come in from their culture. So what? What does that mean for us? 
How does it affect us? Uh, and that's what I want to just do in the last few minutes. Because you see, for us too, there are still things in our lives that Jesus needs to deal with. See, our mind does need to be removed. Freedom does need to be gained. The way that we relate to others, our attitude to sin, all these things need to start to line up with our new identity in Christ. Okay, so we haven't got it all sorted. I don't think we've got any pagans amongst us. But, you know, in our postmodern culture, many of us are more concerned about how it feels than what is right is part of our cultural training. If, if it feels right, then it must be right, is essentially what Paul challenged at Corinth 2,000 years ago. Isn't that funny? What goes around comes around. So let me ask you then, are you two feelings led or dependent? That's what the challenge is. You know, how much is your relationship with God about how you feel than what is true? You know, there may be that mystical aspect to you that you've just got to watch. Just got to be careful of that. Now, we don't tend to struggle with people pursuing paths of secret knowledge and power, as far as I know. Anybody? Well, you wouldn't tell me because it's secret. (laughs) Whatever. But our problem is the opposite, actually. We deny the power of God or the belief that I've got anything to offer when he's given us his spirit freely and without measure. We deny this everyone has. And we come together feeling rubbish and I've got nothing to offer. So let me ask you, Are you denying your gifts today? Are you under a screw tape conspiracy yourself? How often do you use your gifts or more often do you rely on others to step out and take the risks? Everyone has. And we're going to come back to that next time. And then finally, are you using your mind (laughs) is your mind your friend yes it must be so this final challenge about using our minds some of us need to welcome back our minds that we've left outside of our charismatic experience go and get it back it's all right to think and say to myself i have the mind of christ that needs renewing but lord i thank you for my mind Our minds, our questions, rigorous thinking about things of God isn't a sign, is not a sign of any lack of faith or unbelief. So I want to release you from that lie and encourage you that God has given you a mind to use for his glory. Amen? Praise God. It's cold, I know, I'm sorry. I will wind up there. I don't know what the time is. There it is, that's the time. Fine. I'm just going to pray for you and... Uh, And I'm very willing to pray for you individually. If you feel like there's something, I just need to talk about this or I just need to confess something. But let's just stand for a moment because all all I feel to do is just ask the Holy Spirit to come on us and to refresh you. And we're just going to do it 
fairly quickly, God's already here. He's already on some of you. I see that God's already been encouraging some of you today. So come, Holy Spirit, just come really quickly, Lord. We're a bit chilly. So just come really quickly all across this room right now and just bring release and freedom in Jesus' name. Legalism, go in Jesus' name. Set you free. Fear of using the mind in Jesus' name, go. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I just pray for, for new faith, fresh fire now, right across this room in Jesus' name, to step out in faith, to use gifts that God has given you. Just pray, Lord, for a fresh renewing uh, of spiritual gifts in this church today. Lord, those that have been put aside, those that have been put down, those that have even been forgotten about falling into disuse, pick them up. Pick them up in Jesus' name. He just is encouraging you today. The Holy Spirit just wants to encourage you today in Jesus' name. There's incredible freedom for you today. Lord, would you just break strongholds from our culture that says I'm rubbish and I've got nothing to offer. Set people free in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Right across this room now. Just receive the Holy Spirit now. Just receive him afresh. There's healing for some people. Healing for some people. Jesus' name. I just felt that... Um, I feel like there's somebody here who's been, who's, who's been struggling with a confidence issue. But it's a different kind of confidence issue, so I've been wrestling with it slightly in my mind. But the confidence issue is this, you're overconfident. And uh, that somebody has told you to stop or to shut up or something like that, you've been crushed by that. You're overconfident, be quiet. In Jesus' name, I want to set you free from that. It's a lie. And I believe the Holy Spirit would say to you, that your comfort, don't throw away your confidence, it will have great reward. Your confidence was not wrong, it was just misplaced. Put your confidence in me now. Thank you, Lord. If that was you, I'd love to talk to you afterwards and pray for you. Come, Holy Spirit. Just minister your peace now. Pray for fresh faith right now. In Jesus' name.